And so um, we're going to learn a little bit this morning about how that happens. I've been kind of excited to dive into this. I'm by no means an expert on this subject, but I'm, I'm excited to learn more about it and to share what I learned with you all so we all learn and grow together. But a couple of weeks ago, we learned that when we pray, we affect the heavenly realms. Literally, when you pray, whether it's verbally or just in your spirit or in your mind, in your heart, you affect the heavenly realms. Um, we ran through just a few examples of the many, many, many times when people prayed and the heavenly realm was engaged in direct response to those prayers. In fact, Tammy reminded us last week of an angel that appeared to Moses through that bush that was on fire but didn't burn up. That was an angel that was that fire in that bush that didn't burn it up, that uh, caught Moses' attention. And when Moses approached that angel in that bush of fire, the Lord spoke to Moses through it. Most commonly, God sent angels to accomplish his will. But what are angels? In our culture, we seem to have lost an awareness of, um, of what angels are. But man, all through the pages of the scripture, from Old Testament to New Testament, angels were a critical piece and part of what God was doing here on the earth. Um, you know, we, we, we got wine and spirit stores, right? But we don't really understand what spirits are. And I'm by no means a, um, a you know, a, um, a bartender, but I think spirits, they're distilled, right? They're not fermented. Is that the difference? Come on, who are my alcoholics in here? Help me out. Does anybody know? I think that's the case. I think spirits are distilled, not fermented. But anyway, so, but, you know, more, a stronger alcohol for sure and uh, different taste too. But anyways... Um, throughout biblical cultures, angels are referred to, and that's angels, not angles, okay? This is, this is very common. Um, also, so many Christians that I know are, are, are always fighting satin, and I don't know what our deal is with satin. Satin's okay. It's a good fabric. You know? <laughs> Common misspelling. Satan, S-A-T-A-N, you know? He was before you, A. That's how I remember it, you know. I was after Satan. Satan was created first. So Satan, A-N, Satan, I-N. Angels versus angles, right? Just a little, sorry, Nikki. Um, <laughs> just, just a little English lesson here for us, right? Angels, E-L, they were before us. E comes before L, angels. So just a little way to remember it. And it's, I have to correct myself on it. Because spell check will not catch this for you. It is too dumb. Spell check will not catch this one for you. But throughout biblical cultures, and even in Eastern cultures today, they're very aware of the spiritual realm around us, the heavenly realm. But we in our Western, you know, United States culture, we just kind of ignore the fact that there's a heavenly realm around us. Um, angels are referred to often throughout the Bible. Specific classes of angels are written about as if that we just know what they are. We just know what a cherubim is. We just know what a seraphim is. We just, we know what an archangel is, you know, versus uh, just a regular angel. Um, in fact, in Bible culture, they even knew what they looked like because they were symbolized all through um, the temple, right? The, the, was it seraphim, I think, that were on the Ark of the Covenant, you know? Um, so if, if you ever watch Indiana Jones, you might know what they look like. But they just knew what they looked like. They knew what they were. They were aware of them. In fact, we find angels referred to 216 times in the Old Testament and 188 times in the New Testament. That's a lot of times. That's almost, angels are referred to almost as much as Jesus in the New Testament. That's significant. That's hugely significant. 
Although angels are referred to so frequently, and they're such an integral part of God's miraculous works here on the earth and, and interactions with human, we seem to know very little about them in our culture. I don't know about you all, but I don't really know a whole lot about angels. I just know they're awesome, <laughs> and we're going to learn more about them. But, it's, but I got to thinking about it. I'm like, Lord, how, how can I describe this? And it's kind of like if, if I was writing to Nate about a hot dog, you know? It, it, I don't know, anybody ever try out the, the hot dog stand over in, in Katanning, the, the guy that's got his little cart? I keep telling the kids we're going to go there for lunch, but we haven't yet, so you're not alone there. Curly Tail Coffee, that's another story. We've done hit that place up way too often, but um, anyways. But it's like if I, I texted him about going out and grabbing a hot dog, you know? We're both very familiar with what a hot dog is, what it looks like, what it tastes like, um, you know? I'm not going to describe a hot dog in my communication. I'm not going to be like, you know, that, that meat that's made up of like, Every meat, it's like, you know, pig lips and tails and everything that they, they can't do anything else with, so they just grind it together, into, you know, and then you wrap it in a bun. You know, we're not going to describe what a hot dog is. And a couple of thousand years in the future, if, if they've never seen or heard of a hot dog or whatnot, if they read my communication to Nate, that text message, they're going to have no clue. There's not really a lot of, you know, context about what a hot dog is. Just we're going to go grab one, like, what does that mean? You don't even know if I'm going to eat it or not. Just grab a hot dog. Like, if you read that in the future, you're clueless, right? It, it, it's hard to tell what they might picture it being, and just uh, they could really get things wrong really quickly, you know? But if you think about that, I believe it's no different when it came to the writers of the Bible. They just, they knew, the, the people who are authoring the pages of the Scripture, they knew what angels were, and the people reading the letters just knew what angels were, and so there's not really a lot of description. There's a little bit, a little bit, but, you know, they just knew what angels were, and so they didn't really describe them too, too much because it was, it was unnecessary. The writer and the reader both knew what they were, so, um, and honestly, we should too. But they were aware, aware of the heavenly realm around us, and we've seemed to have lost a little bit of that, at least in our local U.S. church culture. We've, we've lost a little bit of that. When we read about angels, we don't have the same common understanding that existed, you know, back when these, uh, these letters were, were penned and written. Um, or, as I mentioned earlier, even as much as on the eastern side of the world today. I believe that God desires to begin to awaken our awareness of the heavenly realm around us, though. So we can cooperate with what God is doing. Jesus was so successful in ministry because he said he only did what he saw the Father doing. Not what he heard the Spirit telling him to do, but what he saw the Father doing. He was aware of the heavenly realm around us. He knew that it was the devil, Satan himself, who was tempting him out in the wilderness. He just knew. He just knew that's who it was. Of course, Jesus would know, but I believe that God wants us to be more aware of what's happening in the spiritual realm around us. Not something to be afraid of, it's something to engage in. In fact, we know from Ephesians 6 that a lot of times we're losing battles because we're fighting the wrong battle. The true battle is in the heavenly realm, right? In the heavenly realm, not here in the natural realm. Um, we, we, I believe that God wants to stir back up again in us a familiarity with the angels around us and their critical role in the kingdom of God and within our personal lives. Um, it reminds me of this Old Testament encounter um, that, that we read uh, between the natural realm and the heavenly realm. The heavenly realm was released peace in the midst of fear and what appeared to be a certain death in the natural realm. We sang about it this morning. Uh, this encounter also clearly reveals the interaction between the natural and the heavenly realms when we pray. When we pray, things are happening. And if you want to turn ahead there, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 20. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and these were real natural physical kings. They were at war. 
After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. All right, men, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to this place. We're going to set up camp there. Then the man of God, who is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Hey, beware passing through that place because the Arameans are going down there. How did he know? That's the cool thing. The heavenly realm's all around us. It's, you, you, can't necess- you can't always visibly see it. But the heavenly realm that was revealing things to Elisha was right there with the king of Aram. So there's no secrets. There's no secrets in the, the kingdom, right? Isn't that kind of cool to think about? Anyways, we'll go on and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about here. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. And so a prophetic word came from Elisha. The king went and checked it out. And sure enough, there's the Aramaeans again. Every single time. This enraged the king of Aram in verse 11. He summoned his officers and he demanded of them, Tell me right now, which one of you is on the side of the king of Israel? And and the officers said, None of us, my lord, my king. It's Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak even in your bedroom. The king ordered them, Go and find out where he is. Right? All right, then, if he's the troublemaker, let's go find him and let's deal with this thing and end it. The report came back, he's in Dothan. So he sent his horses and chariots and a very strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city, completely surrounded the place. When the servants of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my, oh no, my lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Elisha answered, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now that company of prophets weren't very many men, and they were not war trained, (laughs) just to be clear in the natural realm. He wasn't talking about a physical army. It was just a couple of guys who were the company of prophets, and he had a national army surrounding the city out there. And Elisha prayed. All he did was pray. We need to not minimize the power of prayer. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So it may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by him. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. What did Elisha do? He prayed. What did Elisha do? He prayed. You can see this over and over and over again. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So they were struck with blindness as Elisha had asked. As Elisha had asked in prayer. Elisha told them, (laughs) this is great. He goes to that army, this big national army. And he says, no, 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 this isn't the road. This isn't the city. Follow me. I'll lead you to the man that you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So anyone Star Wars fans out there? This is that whole, these are not the droids you're looking for scene. This is the original scene. You know, Elisha, the man they're looking for, said, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't the right place. The man that they were looking for led them right into the middle of the city of their enemies. He, they surrounded him, so he took them and he surrounded them with their enemies. I just, I love it. It's just awesome. So after they entered the city, Elisha prayed again. Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and when they looked around, there they were inside Samaria. 
Then the king of Israel saw them, and he asked Elisha, can I kill them? Can I kill them? Right? It's their enemies. Now's the time. I'll never have to deal with this army again. They're surrounded. When the king of oh, I love it. But Elisha answered, don't kill them. Would you kill those who, have, who have, you have captured with your own sword or bow? Now, set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. Sound familiar? Yeah, that, that song's all about this encounter, just, just in case you didn't pick up on that yet. He prepared a great feast, set it before them. They ate, they went away, they returned to their master. And the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory on that day. Whew. So instead of slaughtering that strong force, instead a table of blessing was set before them in the presence of their own enemies, by their own enemies. Instead of dying, they were blessed. And as a result, God's people were given favor by their own enemies, so all the raiding stopped. They were no longer um, a terror to them. No one died that day, even though both armies woke up that morning set. They were bent on war, on destroying their enemy. And yet on that day, no one died, and they were no longer enemies. I just love it when God fights our battles. Isn't that so cool? This whole account should remind you of that song, right? This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight. It may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by him. There's a table that he has prepared in the presence of our enemies. We bless when we are cursed. We turn the other cheek when we're hit, right? We walk the extra mile. We give our coat as well as our shirt. And as a result, the Lord fights our battles for us. And he's way better at fighting them anyways. Those angelic horses and chariots of fire, they could have easily destroyed the Aramaic forces. But instead, they only executed the will of God as it was spoken through the prayers of Elisha. Elisha just temporarily blinded them. Blinded them and then restored their sight. The angels did what Elisha prayed. When we pray, when we pray... We affect the heavenly realm. This is just one example. But it's such a clear and amazing account of prayer and how it both affects the heavenly and the natural realms working together. When we pray, we affect the heavenly realms. But what are angels, though? Those angels of fire that were all over. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says this, very easy. Are not angels, all angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, the, the weird creatures with eyes all over them that stand before the throne, Aren't all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Who are those who will inherit salvation? Us, Christians, those who put their faith in Jesus, right? Angels are spirits who minister to you. Don't you kind of want to know what angels are then? Because they're serving you. It's kind of important for us to kind of get this. Maybe this is why we're not so effective in our ministry sometimes, because we're not... Fighting battles the way that God wants us to fight. That's why Elisha and Elijah were so incredibly successful. In fact, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the, in the uh, wilderness, after he refuted him those three times, what does the Bible say happened in Matthew chapter 4? Anybody know? Angels came and ministered to him. Angels, angels, angels. I mean, all through the scriptures. And yet myself, 
I don't really have a clue about angels, so we're diving in a little bit. Angels, I do know this thing. They are not the cute little babies that float around with wings that you see depicted in, you know, the, the paintings of Michelangelo and all these. That, that, that's, you do not see that picture in the scriptures at all. And demons, they, they are not these little red guys with horns and tails, you know, walking or flying around pitchforks. You know, they're just, that's not what they are. You won't find anything in the Bible to support that kind of imagery of, of uh, angels and demons. Um, we do see that angels are mighty warriors. They execute the will of God and they serve the people of God. They execute the will of God, they serve the people of God. That's what they do. That's what they're created to do. We see them as warriors, not only in the book of Revelation, all through Revelation, but when Joshua encountered one of Jericho, David at Jerusalem, Balaam, who was uh, worn by his donkey. And I mean, every time you see them, there's, there's some type, you know, there's, there's often a warrior aspect to them. In fact, the angelic encounter that Joshua had might sound a little familiar to the one that Moses had at the burning bush. Read through that real quick. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. Two verses, we can handle that, right? All right, so if you guys don't know the story, Joshua, they're going on to defeat Jericho. They're kicking the enemy out of the promised land, right? But the walls of Jericho are huge. I mean, massive. I mean, according to historic accounts, like you could ride chariots on them. You know, they're just massive walls. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a, sw ah, with a drawn sword in his hand. Oh, which we got, yeah. <laughs> I got my choice back here but I've got my choice, all right? He's got his sword drawn in his hand. Now, this is not some cute little baby, right? I mean, you think about an angel, and they've got a sword that is drawn in their hand, you know? I'd be afraid to approach the dude personally, but Joshua, he was a mighty warrior, right? And he had his own um, armor, his own uh, sword in hand. So he went up to him, and he asked, well, you for us or you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy. And that's why I can't be trusted with, with anything nice. Sorry. Anyways, and, David, and Joshua did so. Sound familiar, right? But a warrior. He was the commander of the angel army. Amazing. Now to Joshua, this is just a man with a sword in, the hand, in his hand. However, he had just personally met the commander of the army of the Lord who was about to destroy the walls of Jericho. He wasn't for Joshua. He wasn't for Jericho. He was for the Lord. Let me tell you what, some battles would start being won if we started having that same perspective. If you've ever done counseling with me, you know that that's sort of my approach. I'm not for the husband or the wife. I'm for the marriage, because that's what the Lord wants to bless. I'm not for the child or the parent. I'm for the Lord, you know? And he wants to bless that relationship. If we, if we got off of this physical, fleshly me versus you, and who's better, and who's right, and who's wrong, and we just got on the side of the Lord, man, would battles be won? Would relationships be restored? right? Heaven would invade earth. That's what we want to see happen. Humans, but th look, think about this other, this is another interesting account where humans do something very simple in the natural world in obedience to God, and God does something huge in the heavenly realms. When we pray and when we just act in obedience in the natural realm, 
things happen in the heavenly. There's a direct correlation. All they did was walk around those walls and then lift up a shout of praise, right? But in the heavenly realm, the army of the Lord brought down the walls of Jericho. The, the physical and the heavenly interacting. This is more exciting than I, I think you realize. Yeah. Angels are distinct. They're unique creations from humans. So I just want to debunk this. We do not... We do not become angels when we die. And I don't want to steal away anyone's comfort. I just want to give you biblical truth so that we're all standing on the word of God together. When people die, we do not become angels. We, we, we do receive heavenly bodies, but we do not become angels. Angels are distinct creatures that God created. Um, a few scriptures that sometimes are misinterpreted to teach us might be um, this one in Matthew 22, 30 or Mark 12, 25. Jesus said at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Yeah, like. Little words are big words in the Bible, just like but, right? This word like, okay? If I say that Nathaniel is like a dragon, does that mean that Nathaniel is a dragon? I'm just going to keep picking on him because if you sit close to me, it's just it's going to happen. But anyways, no. Like, like angels, but the context of Jesus' teaching here was the challenge of the Sadducees who believed there was no resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed once you died and kicked the bucket, pfft, that's it, you become dirt. Jesus was teaching, and so they, they told this story about this one woman that was passed down as the wife to seven brothers. That poor woman. <laughs> one brother to the other, the other, the other. And they questioned Jesus to see whose wife she would be in heaven at the resurrection. Jesus didn't say that we become angels. He said we're kind of like angels. Angels don't marry. Angels don't marry. Pretty simple, right? Is there marriage in heaven? Well, Jesus is the bride and we're the bridegroom, right? It's going to be a big old wedding feast in heaven. But he said we're going to be like the angels who neither marry nor are given in marriage. Another verse perhaps we could use to falsely teach us that we become angels when we die is Stephen when he's being stoned. And it says that all were, who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel, right? Like the face of an angel, that little big word. Stephen was not becoming an angel when he was being stoned to death, or when he was, he was being questioned, actually, in this verse. He was filled with the Spirit of God. God's glory was radiantly shining through him as the charges were being brought against him. This was the same glory that, that he saw when he was being stoned to death as he saw Jesus. It's the same glory that beamed from Moses' face when he would leave the presence of God. It was just the glory of God. It had nothing to do with being an angel. It was just his beaming, the way that an angel beams. Because angels are in the glory of God. And often when they're seen in the Bible, they're seen as glowing white, beaming like lightning, you know, just because of the glory of God. And that's really all that that's about. Um, now these next few verses... Um, that also are often used to teach that we become uh, angels when we die, but it's not true. We don't. I mean, they really, if you just read them the way that they are written, they do not teach that at all. But they do seem to indicate something that I can't refute. So we could argue and debate this, whether you believe this or not, but these verses do seem to indicate that we have what's called a guardian angel. And there's an angel assigned to you for your life. Um, and we're going to read through these verses. Um, again, it's a disputable matter, but it's just kind of cool to think about. And um, from what I'm reading, it may be the case. Um, first verse, um, Matthew chapter 18. Sorry, I don't have this one up here. 
Jesus, whenever they were rebuking him for bringing the kids up and blessing them, they were rebuking him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, see that you do not despise any one of these little ones. I tell you, their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. So it kind of gives that idea. Again, it's not that the children are angels. It's their angel in heaven. It's possessive. So it kind of seems like they have a guardian angel, perhaps. Um, and this last scripture, the context of this last scripture, um, King Herod had just killed James, just killed him by the sword. He had Peter imprisoned overnight, was planning on killing him as well. And so what does the church do whenever this is happening? One of your brothers or sisters gets killed for just believing in Jesus. And it looks like Peter is next. They start praying. When we pray, we affect the heavenly realms. The church was praying for him all through the night. And in response, God did what? Sent an angel. You'll see this over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. We pray, angels are released. God sent an angel to release Peter from prison. When the angel left Peter, he went to Mary's house where the church was praying. And they said, and they said this, um, Peter, he was knocking at the outer entrance. And a servant named Rhodia, Rhoda, she came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She was so overjoyed that she ran back to them without opening the door and said, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door. Can you imagine, like, she's just so thrilled and she doesn't even open the door. And Peter's out there like, they're going to kill me. Like, come on, come on. Like, it's like when you really, really, really got to go in the bathrooms. It's like, come on, you know. She was just so excited. She ran back and told them. And they're like, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting that, that it was so that Peter was at the door. They said, well, it just must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Now go tell James and the other brothers and sisters all about this, and then he left for another place. So it's interesting here because it seems like the church understands that they're, they're invoking the, the heavenly realm, that angels are going out on their behalf as they pray. They're like, it's just his angel. But again, they didn't say that, oh, he must be dead. Let's stop praying because he's an angel now. No, they didn't. The, the scripture doesn't teach that Peter became an angel, that he had died. There's no indication that the church thought he died and became an angel. It was, again, this like guardianship kind of idea. Like, oh, it just must be his angel. Like, he's still in jail. Let's keep praying. You know, she must be crazy. Don't know what she's talking about. But um, obviously an angel had definitely had um, responded and released Peter from prison. It's a pretty awesome, exciting story. So whether or not we have guardian angels, I don't know. You can read through the scriptures and get your take on it. But we do know this. Angels, although angels minister to us, although they serve us, they were created greater than we are. The Bible says we were created a little lower than the angels. The Bible says that when Jesus was born in the flesh, he was made a little lower than the angels. We find this in Psalm 8, 5 and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, which Hebrews 2, 7 is up there. We, uh, which creates this interesting dynamic, doesn't it? Angels are greater than we are, and yet they humbly serve us who are lower than them. Isn't that just the kingdom of God, servant leadership, you know, in, in the angelic host? It creates this interesting dynamic, but it explains this part of this angelic encounter that always made me scratch my head. I, I, I just couldn't figure it out, couldn't understand it. And then once I remembered this reality, it made sense. If you want to turn ahead of me, Judges chapter 13. 
Um, an angel visits Manoah's wife, brings him good news that she's going to become pregnant. And that angel instructs his wife to raise the child as a, Na a Nazarite with some simple instructions on how to do so. Um, Nazarites were, were unique, special people that were holy. They were set apart for God's purposes. They were never supposed to have their hair cut. They were never supposed to touch strong alcoholic drink. And so who do you think this little baby is going to be? Anybody have any ideas? Never get their hair cut? Samson, yeah. <sighs> Everyone's asleep this morning. I'm sorry. All right, Samson. So Manoah prayed, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God, uh, did I get there yet? Yeah, there we go, Samson. Um, you sent to us, come again and teach us how to raise the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman. And I love this. This is Old Testament. <laughs> and yet God goes to the woman and teaches, you know, sends an angel to the woman and teaches her um, how to raise the child. It, it, it's interesting, you know. And God, he's the one that's praying. He's like, teach me how to raise my boy. And he's like, okay. And he goes to his wife. Anyways, there's humor in that somewhere. God heard Manoah, the angel came again while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah wasn't with her again. The woman hurried to tell her husband, hey, he's here, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. So Manoah got up, followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked with my wife? He said, I am. So Manoah asked him, so again, he just sees him as a man. Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what's to be the rule that governs a boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do everything I told her to do. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or any other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the Lord, said to the angel of the Lord, we'd like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I won't eat any of your food. Now, we know that angels actually can eat. They eat in other scriptures, but in this case, the angel refuses to eat their food. But the angel said, but if you do prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. See, Manoah didn't realize that this was an angel. But Manoah, a man who is created to be lower than the angels, detained an angel of the Lord by simply asking him to stay for dinner. Hey, why don't you stay for dinner and hang out with us? And he detained an angel Manoah's simple request was a detaining command to the angel sent by the Lord into the service of Manoah and his wife. And this Hebrew word for detain, it literally means to restrain, to withhold, to detain. It isn't a word that's used to indicate like the willingness of the angel just to hang out with them for a little while. It is a strong, forceful word. And so in verse 17, it goes on, it says, When Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, he said, What's your name? So we may honor you. When your word comes true. And do you see this, this, the reason the angel's resistant? The angel doesn't want a meal to be offered to him. The angel doesn't want any glory, any gratitude, any thankfulness at all. The angel wants it all to go to the Lord. All the glory, all the gratitude, all the praise to go to the Lord, to, to God himself. And, um, and so we, we continue on here, and I'm sorry, I, I scrolled past, so in Judges 13, said to the Lord, da, 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 da. then the angel replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond your understanding. 
Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering, sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. The Lord did an amazing thing when Manoah and his wife watched in verse 19. And verse 20 says, As the flame blazed up from the altar toward Evan, the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it had been an angel of the Lord. And so when we see angels throughout the Bible, we often see a, a, a natural manifestation of wind and fire. As we read earlier in the account with Elisha. And it's my opinion that that violent wind and those tongues of fire that separated and kind of rested on the Pentecost, I believe that was just an indication of the angelic host that was right there with them in action. It was physical evidence of that angelic activity. In fact, Psalm 104 verse 4 says that he makes his wind he makes winds his angels, flames of fire his servants. There's this, this sort of correlation, it seems, between um, the angelic host and, and fire and wind. And when we read about what the angels are doing in the book of Revelation, there is no doubt angels are greater than us. When they're executing the wrath of God, when the seals are broken, and when the, the candle you know, stands, it's just... I mean, the angels are destroying the earth. When you, when you read about... Um, I still can't remember the dude's name. Whenever David interceded in prayer, the, the angels at the threshing floor with the sword killing everybody in uh, Jerusalem. And I can't remember the guy's name. Good Bible trivia for you. You'll have to look it up and tell me by the end of the day because it's killing me. I couldn't remember it two weeks ago. can't remember it now. But, but you see just how, how mighty these angels are, how powerful of creatures they truly are. We also see that angels are messengers. They bring messages from God, Right? Not only prophets, but also angels are messengers from God. They bring words from God. Or they come to explain revelations from him. They even come to take us into heavenly places. In fact, angels have taken people straight into the throne room of God. Anybody think of a couple of guys who were taken in the throne room of God by angels? Anybody? Any names? John, book of Revelation, was Revelation, right? Ezekiel, um, you know, that's another one. Um, da da was it Daniel? I believe, yeah, yeah. Um, Zechariah, I mean, it's just really cool. Straight in the throne room of God. Isaiah, Isaiah, he's like, I am ruined. Woe is me, I'm a man with unclean lips, right? And then the seraphim, apparently they got some kind of hands or something. They grabbed tongs and anyway, it's so cool. But they come to us. Angels come to us, sometimes in visions or in person. Um, and if you want to read about, yeah, really cool biblical um, encounters with, with angels, um, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Daniel, John and Revelation, they're awesome books to read with detailed angelic encounters and what happened. Um, although angels primarily appear in the spiritual unseen realm, they can manifest physically. You can see and interact with angels just as we read, read several times. Um, when angels physically appear to people, sometimes they just look like people. They don't even know it's an angel until afterwards, as we just read. Sometimes when they appear, people fall flat on their faces. They begin to worship the angels. And every time the angel's like, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. <laughs> you know, don't worship me. But they beam the radiance of the glory of God. They, it, it's, it describes them sometimes as having clothes that look like lightning, you know, the white and bright and beaming um, when they appear naturally. So, you know, they can appear in very, very significant ways. But we know they always demand that all the glory always goes to God. They refuse to be worshipped themselves, always. 
And, and I love this. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, Paul teaches that we can actually interact with angels and not even know it. Um, he wrote and he said, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. How awesome is that? You may have blessed an angel and not even known it. You may have interacted with an angel. You may have had an, an angelic encounter and you didn't even realize it. Was this a stranger to you? You just blessed them and went on your way, and you had no idea. How cool is that to think about, right? Sorry, I, I think it's cool. Anyways, we also know that angels listen, listen to execute the word of God. Think about that. Elisha, you know what they said about Elijah? He was a man just like you and I, but he prayed. James, I think it's chapter 3, James 3 or 5. A man, just like you and I, human in every way. And all he did was pray. Whew. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. Prayed again, and it rained. Elisha, all he did was pray. And his servant's eyes were opened. This huge national army was struck blind. Their blindness was removed, all because he prayed. And who did it? The angelic host around them, right? Psalm 103, verse 20 says, Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones, who carry out his plans, listening for his command. This is a really interesting dynamic in the heavenly realms. They execute the will of God, but when you read how they do that, they often execute it when people pray. It's, it's like they're, they're, they're obeying man when man speaks in accordance with the will of God. See how cool this is? That's why praying in the Spirit is so awesome. Because when we pray in the Spirit, when we pray in tongues, we're praying in the, in the language of what? Men and of angels. You can speak angelic languages. Did you know that? Pray, pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit, and you may be praying, and you may be giving out angelic commands, and you don't even know it. Like, it's just so cool to think about. It's like, oh, man. Like, I've read that, you know, a thousand times in 1 Corinthians. I think it's 13 or 14, you know. Read it so many times, it's like, whoa. I speak in the language of angels, men and of angels, when you pray in the Spirit. Like, wow, that's pretty cool to think about. Anyways, we continue on. The Bible talks about angels left and right, and we barely ever speak about them or think about them or even consider the heavenly realm around us. we got to stop that. We, there's an awareness, awareness that God is trying to raise this morning. All right, and so I, I keep going back to that, that Peter encounter for some reason. I'm, I swear I'm, I'm closing up here. There's so much to talk about, but, but we're just going to kind of scratch the surface of angels throughout the, uh, the word of God. Um, so, yes, they, they bring um, their messengers, bring the word. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Um, yeah, they listen to execute the word of God. So when we pray, when we speak the word of God, we may be interacting and impacting the heavenly realms and not realize it. When we declare and proclaim the word of God verbally, opening our mouth, using our lungs, this tongue that God has given us, when we speak the word of God, angels might be released to do it. We see it happen time and time and time again throughout the word of God. Angels are eagerly waiting and they're listening for the word of God to be spoken so that they might bring it to pass. They're hearkening for the command of the Lord to bring it to pass. This is another reason for us to get vocal, right? When we proclaim the word of God. It's important, so important to read the scriptures quietly, to memorize them. How do you keep yourself from sinning? The Bible says by 
putting the word of God in your heart. It's so important to do that, critically important. But what did Jesus do whenever he was tempted by the uh, enemy in Matthew 4 in the wilderness? What did, yeah, he read the scripture, he quoted the scripture. Now did he, did he say, hold on a second devil, let, let me go back to Jerusalem, get in the temple, go through the scrolls. Did he do that? No, it was right here. <laughs> he was fully man, fully God. He learned the word of God as a young man, right? He learned the word of God. He hid it in his heart. So when the temptation came, he quoted the word just like that, word against word. He wielded it like a sword, right? That's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. As soon as the enemy came, you know, he, he unsheathed his sword and, all right, didn't know if I'd be able to do that or not. This thing's got some weight to it. It's got like a 10-pounder. Um, and he wielded it. Jesus wielded the word of God like the sword of the spirit that it is. And in fact, four times in the book of Revelation, when John saw Jesus, he saw Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. I'll tell you what, in the heavenly realms, when you speak the word of God, it's exactly what you're doing. You are wielding the sword of the spirit. Swords coming out of your mouth, striking down the enemy, right? You are, you're rising up against temptation, you're destroying the works of the devil because that's one of the things we are sent to do, right? Declaring, proclaiming the word of God, the sword of the spirit. It is an act of warfare. Destroys the work of the devil, pierces through darkness of the great light. It releases angels to bring his word to come to pass. Speak the word of God, proclaim it, declare it. I remember a prophecy that we had not all that long ago that we were to return to the public speaking of the word in fact the dry valley of dry bones i firmly believe would still be a dusty old valley of dry bones had someone not opened their mouth and prophesied to it right that's what the lord told him to do prophesied of that valley he spoke he spoke it out who and man was it transformed into an army of the lord right it was when the disciples were speaking the word of god that people were saved People were filled with the Spirit. I, I love that encounter of Peter at Cornelius' house. He's preaching, just like I'm sharing the word this morning. While he's preaching, all of a sudden, he gets interrupted by the Holy Spirit. Don't you just hate when the Holy Spirit interrupts what you had planned? No, hopefully we don't. I love when the Holy Spirit interrupts it. All those Gentiles start speaking in tongues and prophesying. They are filled with the Holy Spirit while Peter is still teaching them the good news. How awesome is that? How awesome is it? Interaction with the heavenly realm. And that wasn't just on the day of Pentecost. When followers of Jesus spoke the word of God with their mouth. And God interrupted and just did what he wanted to do. It's so awesome. So many times people got saved. People got filled with the spirit. All because people opened their mouth and started speaking. Something happened in the heavenly realms. Something happened over and over and over again. So, prayer. Prayer is very simple. It's just communicating with God. But when you pray, when you pray, things start happening in the heavenly realms. Angels all around us are listening. They're hearkening to execute the word of God. I didn't talk about them much this morning at all, but... 
you know, so much of Jesus' ministry was also dealing with another group of angels, right? Anybody know what group of angels they are? They, 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 got, they got kicked out like lightning from heaven. The demons, yeah. Most of Jesus' ministry is dealing with demons. When's the last time any of us dealt with a demon? If Jesus was doing it all the time, I mean, sometimes we, we fight the wrong battles, just like Ephesians 6 tells us. We fight in the natural, and we neglect what's happening in the spiritual. What's happening in spiritual realms is nothing to be afraid of, because greater is he who is where? Yes. And personalize that, in me. Greater is the one in me than he that is in the world. So when you start getting spooked or scared, there's no fear in the love of God. Start speaking. We told our kids to do that, right? Remember, whenever they get scared of the dark and stuff, what did we tell you to do? Yeah. Yep. You just start speaking to that thing. Raise your voice. And that fear left. That fear left every time. Our kids learned to sleep by themselves in their own beds. Oh, it was so sweet. So sweet. Let me tell you. <laughs> I won't talk about all that. But anyways, when we pray, when we pray, heaven meets earth. The spiritual, the natural, the physical, the angels. In, in, this beautiful interaction takes place. And the will of God is accomplished here on the earth, even as it is in heaven. Even as it is in heaven. And so, let's do exactly that. Pray. So Jesus, thank you for teaching us teaching us about the heavenly realms, about the angels, your angels that are mighty and powerful, your angels that, that, that bring messages, that fight on our behalf, your angels that, that watch over us, your angels that protect us, your angels that fight for us. Jesus, make us more aware of what's happening in the heavenly realm around us as we pray. Angels, we give you full permission to accomplish the will of God in our lives and here in this valley, here in this place. Angel of freedom, release that freedom! Release your freedom here in the valley. There are so many bound by so many things. Worshiping created things instead of worshiping the creator. Release freedom into every life. Jesus, make us more aware of the angelic host around us, the way that Elisha was, the way he just knew that there are more that are for us than against us. So there's no need to fear. There's no need to be filled with anxiety or depression. There's no need to be oppressed by the enemy. There is reason to praise. There is reason to lift our voices and to declare and to shout your praises and your glory. Whew, because you're just getting started, Lord. This is going to end in goodness. This is going to end in glory to you, Lord. This is going to end with your word coming to pass. Because you have the final say, Jesus. I'm yours. You have the final say, Jesus. So I won't be afraid. I will not fear. I will rise up. I will rise up along with your angelic host. Those demons got kicked out of heaven once. Whew. And man, did they shudder when you showed up, Jesus. They were confused. They're like, it's not our time yet. Jesus, help us to send those demons fleeing. Give us the boldness and the courage to start telling those demons to go in Jesus' name once again. 
Give us the boldness to pray. To pray, to pray, to pray. To pray the way Elisha. Is there Elisha someone's dealing with in their life? Be praying the way that Elisha prayed. He didn't fear the, the army that surrounded him because he knew the angel that surround, the army of angels that surrounded that army. Help us to walk in that level of confidence and faith, Lord. In that level of awareness of what's happening in the heavenly realms, Lord. We don't need to fear anything here in the natural. Fear, go in Jesus' name. Fear, leave this place. Leave every person. We will walk in boldness and confidence. We'll walk with our heads held high. Because we are yours, Lord. We are royalty. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, angelic host. For all the times you have protected and guided us. Thank you. Help us to be more aware of your presence and what you want to accomplish. So we, whew, so we can have some fun for your kingdom, Lord, in your name. Amen. 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 Wow. Well, get out there and keep studying. Keep studying these angels. There's so much from cover to cover. So many fun encounters. It was never boring. Anytime an angel showed up, it was awesome.